Sundays are very special days. I mean, I love gathering with God's people and all of the great things that occur on a Sunday, but there is a special two hours of every Sunday between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. It's a very special time, not necessarily for spiritual reasons, but because it's nap time. How many agree from 2 to 4, it's nap time? I've tried to work around it to not nap during that time, but my body just automatically shuts down. It's been doing that for years, kind of in that time period. Well, one year, uh, we, we had been invited to a birthday party in our neighborhood. And we love the fact that as pastors, we get invited to a lot of parties. I mean, that's one of the joys of being a pastor. But sometimes they kind of start blending together. It's almost like one huge Publix sheet cake that never ends with punch and almonds over and over and over again. So my friend Mary had told me, she said, we're going to throw a neighborhood surprise party for Julie. Julie was our friend, she still is, who moved from Australia that lived in the neighborhood. And she said, we're going to throw a surprise party. I hope you can come. Well, the, the, the party was two, two doors down. That wasn't a problem to me. I thought, well, if, if I remember and if it doesn't disturb my nap, we'll probably walk down and say hello. Uh, so that particular Sunday, Beth wasn't there. The kids, were, they weren't there. They were running errands. And I had my time to take a nap. And I was asleep. And I heard the doorbell ring. Mistake at this point. Don't get out of bed. Don't answer the door. But as a pastoral person, I, I went downstairs and I had gym shorts on, bare feet, a t-shirt, and bedhead. Don't answer the door looking like this. I answer the door and Mary is standing there with a cake. And she said, are you ready for the party? Somehow in the miscommunication, the party was at our house. So it's bad enough that she was there with the cake. But in tow behind her were three other women who I had never met before. And they start walking into my house and they introduce themselves. Hi, my name's Jenna. Hi, my name is Sherry, whatever their names were. And they, 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 they come in the door. The next thing I know, I'm, I'm kind of in this fog trying to wake myself up. And I look and random women are in my home cleaning the house and, and rearranging things. And they're in the kitchen starting to wash dishes. And they're, they're picking up toys. And I'm thinking, how did this happen? What's going on? There's a party at my place and we're not ready for it. And this is not good. And now there's these double doors that, that go into the kind of laundry area. And stuff is just kind of stacked there in, in the past. And this lady who I didn't even know, she grabs the handles and she's about to open the laundry doors and I scream, no! That's the holy of holies or the unholy of unholies. However you look at it, you can't go in there and it shocked her. So the, since that time, you know, we've had a rule in our house, try to keep the house party ready. It, it, it hasn't always worked out that way, but you never know, right? You never know when a party is going to break out at your house. You never know when it's going to happen. So this is, uh, as we, we, we talk about a common theme of our faith is it's this idea of waiting and preparing for the coming of the Lord. Now, today, when I talk about the coming of the Lord, I'm not 
going to be talking about um, the end of the world, so to speak. I mean, there's all types of biblical theories on that, and we could we could argue that or talk about that, and I, I feel like I've studied that pretty comprehensively, and I'll save you the time. Here's my conclusion after reading a lot of books about that. Nobody knows how it's going to happen, all right? So let's just... We'll establish that. Now, there is this phenomena, and I don't want to use age discrimination today, but I've noticed that people who, uh, people who have lived their life and accomplished their goals and have, have had careers and have maybe even have grandkids and great-grandkids, they're, they're always looking for the world to end, and, and probably simply because they've had a pretty good life, I would say. And then younger people are like, no, God's not coming back anytime soon because, you know, I still want to get married and I'd like to get a promotion and I've never been to Europe before. So I don't think the coming of the Lord's going to happen anytime soon. And so there's kind of that phenomena. There's kind of like this, this generational gap when it comes to the coming of the Lord. Well, I think what we really need to see is that the coming of the Lord is not so much about this world ending, but about God coming into this world right now, about the establishment of his kingdom of his purposes, of his salvation. I love what Isaiah 56, 1 says. It says, this is what the Lord says. Preserve justice and do what is right, for my salvation is coming soon, and my righteousness will be revealed. And we can see this scripture is applicable to the people who heard this message originally, and it's applicable to us today. That salvation is near to us. Salvation is coming to us. God is bringing his salvation to redeem the world, to save the world, to establish his purposes in the world. And he's doing that through us. So when we talk about waiting, and we'll sing about waiting at the end of the service today, it's not a passive waiting. It's not a waiting where we're just sitting around. We're not just sitting around wondering when uh, when the coming of the Lord is going to happen. We're not just hiding out uh, and just hiding until the arrival of the Lord occurs. Our waiting is an active waiting. We're people who are doing the works of the Lord. We're establishing the kingdom of God. We're people who are praying it, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth, and then we're becoming the answer to that prayer by doing the works of the Lord. And here's the first thing that you saw in the scripture, the first organizational point today, is we're called as we prepare for the Lord, ready for his coming, to maintain justice. Maintain justice. This word justice is such a powerful word because it is the cry of our heart. We long for justice to occur because something feels wrong when injustices occur. When someone is abused, when someone is taken advantage of, when someone is not given opportunity that should be the right of any human beings, there's something within us that, that just aches within us and we think this is not the way it should be. As people who love Jesus, as people who love humanity, as Jesus loves humanity, we're not people who can tolerate injustice. And so part of preparing for the coming of the Lord, when the Lord comes, however he comes, in whatever way he comes, he wants to see an active, vibrant church, not a church that's hiding out, not a church that's pulling back, not a church who's closing the doors and who's building compounds, but churches who are involved in the community, churches who care about the social need of the people that they live with, churches that are involved with issues of justice because they want to see the right things happen to the right people. This is what it means to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Isaiah 56, 1, again, the Lord says, this is what the Lord says, preserve justice. 
Do what is right, for my salvation is coming. Guys, we are people of possibility. We are people who are pregnant with the purposes of God. And we are called by God as his church to deliver his kingdom to this world, to partner with God, not because we're good, not because we're worthy, but because we're chosen. He's chosen us to do the work of the kingdom. He's chosen us to, chosen us to advance against darkness. We are those who advance against the gates of hell. And the gates of hell are a defensive position. We attack darkness and we bring the light to where dark places are. And that's what justice is about. Justice is caring about the people no one else cares about. Justice is about thinking deeply and acting deeply on the issues of our day that will matter a hundred years from now. Justice is not about living a superficial life to take care of our own desires and wants, but it's living a sacrificial life that helps solve problems and answers questions and reaches into human need and is the tangible hand and heart of Jesus. And God wants justice for the incarcerated, justice for the poor, justice for the hungry, justice for the illiterate, justice for the diseased, justice for the unborn, justice for the unheard, justice for the accused, justice for the abused. God is calling us to be people of justice. And so if you want the Lord to come, if you want his salvation to come to this dark world, get busy doing the Lord's work. Don't hide out. Don't be defensive. Be the light that God's called you to be. Be people of prayer and then answer the prayer with your heart and with your life. Years ago, I got to do a wedding, officiate a wedding, at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Very, very special family to us. And they took such good care of us. They paid for both Beth and I to fly to Colorado paid for our rental car, our hotel, our food, and it was a spectacular atmosphere. I mean, the Air Force Academy is such a beautiful place, and there is a chapel that is just incredible, one of the uh, greatest places I've been or I've done ministry in. But because it's such a great venue for a wedding and there's so many cadets who want to be married, there's several weddings a Saturday at that cathedral. And so we were on a time constraint. So as the one officiating the wedding, I had the job of making the bride happy and making the mother of the bride happy. You would think this would be easy to do in tandem, but it's a really delicate art to do. And these guys were great, so it really wasn't an issue. But I wanted to do well, and the, the kids wanted... Uh, well, I say kids, the young adults, they wanted something highly personable uh, and, you know, integrating stories from their childhood. And rightfully so, the parents wanted something a little more official, uh, using customary language. And so I was feeling pretty good because I'd blended the two of them. You know, I was like official and, and had used really great words, but I'd, uh, I'd made people laugh and had told great stories. And I was just feeling good. And so the wedding was over and I'm kind of getting the verbal feedback that's so appreciated. Thank you, you did great, you did great, you did great. The mother of the bride's coming. And that's like a hundred times, a hundred times what, what it would, would mean, the weight of her opinion. And she was so gracious to me. She said, thank you. She said, Aaron, Aaron you did exactly what the kids wanted. Uh, they, they were very happy. Uh, and, and, and you did a great job of being official. She said, and she just mentioned this, one thing you did forget to do 
you forgot to pray. I said, what? Yeah, you forgot to pray. I did a mental rewind. And I had gone through that whole service, told great jokes, included great language, included great scripture, but I didn't pray. I mean, I mean there was an attitude of prayer there. there. There was this sense that these were Christian people and we were doing Christian things, but, but we forgot to pray. And that's now always has made me remember, I, I believe wedding ceremonies need to be spiritual exercises. And so now prayer is a, a really important part of, of what we do. But I just can't imagine how could I officiate a wedding and not pray and still think I did a good job. You know, this reminds me a lot of what contemporary church is like. You know, it's possible to be part of contemporary church expressions and and forget to pray. I mean, you can have it all together. You can drive up to the church and have great parking people. I see these teenage girls had these awesome signs like, we're so glad you're here. You're beautiful. Smile. You're at church. That just makes you feel good. Then you come in and the air conditioning is just perfect, Right. It wasn't quite perfect today, but I think we got it better the second service. But theoretically, it is. So the air conditioning is perfect, and, and you have these greeters. like People are like, happy to see you. Thank you for being at church. And there's coffee. The coffee bar is there. There's a soda machine if you're not a coffee person. And then there's upbeat kind of bumper music because you're coming to church. It's like happy music. It's not sad music. Happy music that makes you feel good. And you come, you sit down in these very comfortable seats. And then uh, you hear the tight music. I mean, the band is playing, and it's good stuff. It's stuff you know from the radio and it sounds good and it's comfortable and then the preaching comes and the preacher's like really really funny and he's like really really good looking and he's really really muscular right by the way I know that trick whenever people say hey the muscular guy in the gray shirt that means the fat guy okay I get that deal I get that deal but there's a really handsome muscular preacher and and they're preaching and 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 things feel good and everything feels great but if we forget prayer we, we've forgotten the centrality of why we're here. And, and it's easy. It's easy to be seduced by that. It's easy to be seduced by entertainment in the church. I'm not saying that we should not do all of those factors that even our church does to, to make people feel at home and, and to have people, and make people have a good experience. But we exist for the proclamation of the word of God and the sacraments and prayer. And that's why... I, God's called us in this scripture as we wait, prepare for his coming, write this down, to build a house of prayer. Build a house of prayer. Jennifer read the scriptures for us in verse 6 and 7 as such a relevant scripture. I wish I could even spend more time just analyzing some of the the language here that I think is really relevant to to us as a people today. Verse 6, And the foreigners who covenant to the Lord, minister to him, love the name of Yahweh's and become his servants, who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Let's just stop there for a second and just keep that, keep that slide up because we're going to continue. First of all, there, there's so much that's happening in the scripture, but I'm making an assumption here that the majority of us are, are not Jewish people. This scripture means so much to us because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came and through the heart of God and as God himself, Jesus opened this this religion that was just for one family and one tribe and said, now it's for the whole world. It's for the whole world. It's for all people. You don't have to have Jewish bloodline to get access to the promises of God. And he has called us 
to become a house of prayer. And that's why the kingdom of God has been advanced, not only through the regathering of the Jewish people, which we'll touch on now, but all through this whole world. The kingdom of God is being advanced through non-Jewish people, including us in the United States of America and the revival of South America and the revivals that are happening in West Africa and the house churches in China and the house churches in Iran. When we have the Middle East, God is raising up believers all through the Middle East. Listen, God is causing a house of prayer for all people to come forth, to rise up, to rise up out of the ashes of hate and division. And what this means to us is he's called us to be people of prayer. And I'm just warning us, we can get it all together. We can, get, we can have the music together, the preaching together, the building together, the strategy together, the marketing together. But if we are not people of prayer, we're missing the mark and missing the heart of God. And guys, we've got to do this stuff. We've got to be people of prayer. And being people of prayer, it costs us something. It's sacrificial. Sometimes it can feel a little boring. Not always, but sometimes. It, it, it can, it, it's something that is creating habits in our life. But we have to be people of prayer. And I'm just telling you this, not to your shame, not to make you feel bad. I'm raising the standard that God says, listen, it doesn't matter if we build something on sand. Because when adversity comes, it's going to wash away and it won't last. But when we're people who build this community on prayer and on scripture and on the centrality of the cross, then nothing, nothing can stop us because it's the Lord who's built the house. And he has called for a house of prayer. Jesus quoted the scripture when he came and, and he overturned the tables that, that were outside, the merchant tables outside of the temple. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. But I want you to see this, that it's something for all people. And I thank God for the immigrant churches in the North America. Listen, the, the traditional American church is weak. The traditional American church is lukewarm. The traditional American church, it, it, you know, we come to church once a month, twice a month. We don't really care, but it's the immigrants who are, are coming and they're having vibrant prayer services and they're believing in the power of God. And if, if it's the immigrants who have come who have caused our church stats to maintain. You, you look at the stats of denominations and if it wasn't for the immigrant church, the church in America would not be existing today in, in, in any kind of vibrancy. And, and th this is, this is a, a dual word. I'm not saying the scripture is prophesying that phenomena. It's not. But I'm just saying it's something for us to think about. That the gospel is always expanding, expanding to new people, to new places, to new things. Now, we go on. And this is the call to us. Verse 7. I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And this and that's what God's called us to be. People of vibrancy, people of prayer, people who seek the face of the Lord, people who go hard after God, people who will not accept a compromising faith, people who will not be satisfied with shallowness, people who have a depth in their soul because they're willing to go deep with God. This is the standard. This is the standard that God's calling us to. That's why we're calling some of our men to deeper discipleship. We're calling people to sacrificial life. We're calling you to go deeper, to, to go deeper with the things of the Lord. Because 
Because if we don't go deeper with the things of the Lord, we will have no root when adversity comes. This is a season, a season of macro prosperity. It's a season of where we're, us as a nation, the economy's good. Unemployment numbers are low. And I thank God for that. I'm not looking. I'm not one who wishes ill on any people. I want blessings to come to all people. But I'm saying it's in the time of prosperity. It's in the time of increase. We've got to go deeper with God. We have to go deeper with the Lord to be people of prayer. Now, there's been a lot of things in my life that has, has moved me more to a place of prayer in recent months. And it's kind of like a sermon I gave a few weeks ago. It's the victorious Lent. You know, I'm like, I'll be three or four days just on on prayer, man. I'm just, wow, man, you guys would be impressed. And then two or three days where I just kind of fade off. But the Lord's helping me. I get back, I get focused again. And that's, that's how the spiritual life often is for, for some of us. And so I, the Lord is helping me to build my prayer life. And there's been a lot of different factors that have led to this. But one of the factors was a meeting I had with my friend Don Gerald. Don Gerald is a retired pastor. And in his own description, he calls himself a crusty old man. I wouldn't call him that, but he calls himself that. And he kind of is because on, on his Facebook post, I mean, he says some stuff that I just totally disagree with. I, I totally disagree with. I mean, I just, I find uncouth and all that. But it lets you know that you don't have to agree with someone about everything to receive from them at certain times, you know, because of, uh, that, that's just how it is. We, we cut people off just because we don't agree with them 100%. And, and I don't mind telling Don when he's off, but, um, but I also can receive from him because he's a, he's a wise, uh, wise believer, wise pastor. So we meet, we've met for lunch once a year for about 15 years. And on a more recent one, you know, he's asking about the church. How's the church doing, Aaron? And I'm like, well, you know, we got great, you know, we got Alpha going and Arwana and youth is doing good and small, you know, all the different stuff. You know, we're, we're up a little bit on our average, all the stuff you tell pastors. And they asked me this question. He goes, well, what do you think you guys need? And I said, well, this is from the Lord. What's the Lord put on your heart? And I just said, you know, Don, you know, I'm not one to focus on numbers because I try not to. I try not to. I, I don't think anyone, anyone can be completely immune from that. But, but I try not to focus on numbers. But I'm like, you know, if we could just probably add about 100 people, I think it just kind of push us over the crest of where we need some momentum in certain areas. Some things God has called us to do and God has put on our hearts. I'm like, about 100 new people would, I think, would just push us over the crest of that mountain. So Don says, Aaron, you want to know why you don't have 100 new people? I was like, yeah, I would. Because you're not praying for 100 new people. He said, did you hear me? I said, yeah, I'm listening. He said, if God has told you 100 new people is what your church needs, he wants to give it to you, and you're not praying for 100 new people. And that was one of those things that was a catalyst for me. You know, we can't use prayer just to get what we want. Okay, that's an immature way for it. But as someone, I'm leading this church. I'm looking at the data. I'm looking at the people. I, I know where we are. I know where our history is. And I know what God has called us to do and what the vision he's given us. And I'm like, yeah, just something just to push us up. And this is, this is something the Lord has put in my heart. And Don called, told me, he said, Aaron, if you're not pray, you don't have it because you're not praying for it. And that, that has been one of the catalysts for my life. So what I have received now, I pass on to you. What is it that God has put on your heart that you need? And are you praying for it? Because that's how God, God works. He gives us a desire, and then he asks us 
in the mystery of prayer or the obedience of prayer to mirror back what he's put on our hearts to him because it causes us to be humble. causes us to be humble. causes us to ask for things that we need. And, and we need to do that. We need to be people who ask. Man, the Lord has done great things for our church. And some of you have been the answer to that prayer for 100 new people. We've had, we've had high attendance. Uh, the first service was was very full today, more, uh, more full than the service. And this isn't a competition. I'm just giving you information. It was quite full this morning. Even the first two rows here were full. And, and these, these first two, we have some people usually sit here who aren't here this Sunday, but always this is the, what we call the bomb here. It's just like an area. But we're, we're close to it. We're close to it. So, so, so we were full front to back and across this morning. And, and this is a really, really good, attendance here at 1045. But last week, last week, our offering was about 45% of what our budget is. Now, everybody gets real nervous. We've already passed the bucket, so don't worry about it. We're not going to pass them again. All of a sudden, everybody's like, put your hand over your wallet. He's, they need money. No, here's the deal. For, for years now, I've never really had to worry about the money around here. It's like, we, 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 we have a church service. And you guys give to the Lord, and we pay the bills and do things God's called us to, and we just haven't had to worry about it. And we're not worried now, but what I realized is I haven't been praying over our finances as I should. I, I haven't. I don't think God's punishing me, but I think God's teaching me. And he's saying this, that we've we got to pray. We've got we to pray in. Listen, it's not this automatic thing. You just open up a church service and, and you get what you need. You have to say, God, we're dependent on you moving the hearts of your people, connecting people to the vision of this church, giving people a desire to give, giving people the courage to be obedient. These are the things that God's called us to do. And so in response to that, you know, I had Matt take up the offering today, which is the one staff member who will not talk about the offering. I mean, he's funny, he's exciting, he's, he's whimsical, but when he takes up the offering, he didn't even mention the offering today. He didn't even put up the online offering thing today. So that's okay, because we're not trusting human techniques, right? We're trusting the Lord, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying for provision. I expect, I expect because of our God, huge provision to come in the next few weeks. I expect that. I expect that because of our God. I expect that because of our God. Some of you are the answers to that prayer. Some of you are the answers to that prayer, and you have been the answer to that prayer. Whatever you need, ask God for that. One of the biggest needs, I believe, in our nation is the generational gap uh, between Americans. I, I think it's, I know that every, every generation there's been a gap. But between, uh, I, I'm, I'm 42 years old, and between my friends who are a few years older than me and my friends who are a little bit younger than me, the, the gap is so much bigger than you guys want to admit. I mean, I talk to friends on either side, and it's like talking to different people because of the way they process the world and the way they process even our faith and process civic issues. It's a huge, huge gap. It's a huge, huge issue especially because God has called the church to be a multi-generational church. I mean, it's not healthy, it's not good for us to just go to our own age categories and worship separately. That doesn't represent the kingdom of God to me. That's not what heaven's going to look like. Heaven's going to be a people of a place of all races, all tribes, all nations, all ages. It's certainly implied into that. So what, how in the world 
as a community of believers who fundamentally process the world differently. I don't think people are, are trying to be divisive. I don't think people are trying to be separate. I don't think people are trying to be controversial. People just process the world differently. What's the answer to that? The answer to that is a house of prayer, a, a place where the anointing brings the unity. The power of the Holy Spirit moves in. The power of the Holy Spirit brings us together. As I was selecting, as I was using scriptures from the lectionary, which is a system we use to preach from during this series so that we can give you a full full scope of the word of God. Our psalm for this Sunday was Psalm 133, verse 1 through 3. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then verse 2, and we'll just stay on verse 2. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. When the presence of God, the anointing comes, it unites people. It unites people who think differently. It unites people who have different experiences. It unites people of different cultures. That's why we have to be a house of prayer. The place of prayer is a place of unity. The place of prayer is where the walls come down. The generational walls, the cultural walls are going to come down. Walls of unforgiveness, walls of distrust, walls of bitterness, walls of anger. They're going to come down in the place of prayer. That's why the Lord is calling us to get busy being a people of prayer. And and guys, we have to do this stuff. Listen, it's not good enough just to preach on prayer or to talk about prayer or to say prayer is our solution. We got to pray. And that's why we try our best and it's our aim and it is this Sunday too is to leave a gap at the end of my sermon to have time of prayer to have a time of prayer. So we're not like I was at that wedding, putting together a great ceremony, but not praying. We want to be people of prayer. So we, enter, we move towards this last point. Let, let, me, let me just go ahead and give it to, to you the last point. Is we're going to, as we prepare for the coming of the Lord, we're going to gather the, the dispersed. Gather the dispersed. And this scripture is specifically talking to the Jewish people And I believe the Jewish people are assigned to us. We are living in a day of a modern miracle. If Jesus doesn't come back in the next 100 to 1,000 years or 10,000 years, it's his choice. They'll look back to the 20th century, to the 19th and 20th century, now the 21st century, and say what God did to regather the Jewish people in what we call Palestine today or in their ancestral homes is a miracle. It's a miracle that only God could do. We certainly don't have time to talk about that, but I want you to be encouraged by this. Isaiah 56, 8 says this. This is the declaration of the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I will gather to them still others besides those already gathered. This is the heart of God. God is gathering his people together. And we see this as a physical sign in what he's done through the Zionist movement through the Declaration of Israel as a nation-state in 1948, through the, re, the, the repopulation of, the, of Jerusalem and surrounding lands in 1967. These are things that God has done as a sign to us. Romans chapter 11 talks about this issue, starting with verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not, Paul wrote this. For I too am an Israelite a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know that what the scripture says in the Elijah section, 
how he pleads with God against Israel. And he explains this much further. We'll go all the way to verse 29. This is what the Lord says. Since God's gracious gift and calling are irrevocable. God has chosen his people. And for those of us, those of us who believe in the name of Jesus, we've been grafted in. We're part of his chosen people. We're part of the community. And he's regathering us. And this is what the Lord has called us to do. The Lord has called us to regather his people. We're called to be a force, to be a light right here in in the central part of Hendersonville, right here in the central part of Sumner County with access to Gallatin, to Portland, to Goodlettsville, to access to northern Nashville. We're a gathering of the people God has called. God has called his people. He's called believers to live vibrant lives for him again. He's calling us to call people out of lukewarmness. And I just want to encourage you. You know Christians who need to be in church, Christians who need to be in God's house, Christians who are are getting lukewarm about their faith, and invite them, pray for them, invite them here. You also know that here in the American South, we have a form of godliness that's denied the power of God. So you can have conversation with people. Yeah, I'm a member of such and such Baptist church, such and such Nazarene church, such and such Pentecostal church. That doesn't mean anything. All that means is that they know a church and they can say it, but they need to be regathered back to the house of God regathered back to the heart of God. It's not that church attendance is the answer. It's the God we worship when we come to church is the answer. And we gather as God's people to say that there is meaning in this life. There's meaning beyond the things that are so superficial that take up our time. There's meaning even when uh, things aren't going our way in our sports team, our political teams. There's meanings when things are going our way in, in, in our relationships, when things aren't going our way in our finances, when things are not going our way in our career. There's meaning beyond on that because there's eternal meaning in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a light to shine, a story to tell, a family to invite people to. The work of the Lord is good. We're not just waiting. We're not just waiting until he comes. We're not just waiting passively until he comes. He's called us to persevere, to preserve justice, to build a house of prayer, and to gather the scattered so that they can understand the greatness of who our God is. And this is the word of the Lord for you today. I want us to stand together. I want us to stand together. The Lord has anointed his word. In this series called Chasing Progress, what I'm I'm doing is I'm, I'm using the passages right now until the Lord gives me another direction. In the lectionary, I say that. So today, all of the scriptures that we read today were were scriptures that churches all over the world are either reading or incorporating in worship or, or, or proclaiming one way or the other. We do this to get the full counsel of God. We do this so that um, that the word of the Lord is coming forth, that you're not just hearing the opinion of men. I just didn't listen to talk radio this week. I don't listen to that anyway, but theoretically and say, oh, that sounds like a good sermon or there's a new movie out. I'm going to create a new sermon. I'm not belittling those who do that. God certainly uses that. But I'm saying this is that the word of the Lord is the basis for what we do. It's a foundation. And Isaiah 56 is a gift to you today. I want you to hear this. Isaiah 56 is a gift to you. It's God's word today. Maybe you didn't like the way I delivered it. Maybe you didn't connect with my style. Whatever the case is, I'm not saying that out of insecurity. I'm saying that out of just, I know that. I know that. Preaching, it's like potato salad. People like like it one way, mustard, mayo, whatever the case is. Some like intellectual. Some people like screamers, whatever. You know, I can't make everybody happy, but I can do this. I can give you God's word. The word of the Lord. Listen, Isaiah 56 is a sign to you. Uh, Romans 11 is a sign to you. Psalm 133 is a sign to you today. 
today. This is what the word of the Lord says to you. And the, the Lord says, feed on that word. Feed, meditate on that word. Digest that word. Consume the word. Let it come, even if it's bitter sometimes. Consume it and let it become part of you because the word of the Lord will transform your life from the inside out to be the people of God, to be the man or woman of God he's called you to be. Let's pray about this together. I said we're going to pray, and now I'm preaching too long. Father, we prepare our hearts for you. We prepare our hearts for you. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us this symbolic time, bread and the cup, to remind us how meaningful Jesus is to us. It's your body. It's your blood. It's your resurrection. That's where our power comes. It doesn't come from human technique. It doesn't come from human wisdom. It doesn't come from religious strategy. It doesn't come from the plans of man. Lord, it's resurrection power. I think your resurrection power is here this day, this morning. Resurrection power is here, Lord. Lord, to work within us. And so, Lord, as, as we come to your table today, as we go to the place of prayer, God, we pray that you would be with us. We thank you for that. I'm going to give